You might be familiar with wine, but are you familiar with twine? It emulates OS2 binaries the same way that wine can emulate Windows binary. It's named such to continue the fine tradition of programmers producing good code and bad product names. And it comes from the one, the only, Ryan C. Gordon, a.k.a. Iculus. So you know it actually might be a bit legitimate. He just posted this to his patrons on his Patreon page. And, uh, Wes, good news. They've got Unreal Tournament. Oh, boy! <laughs> of all the things, right? That's what it goes with. But he's pretty fired up about it. He actually says this is a big, this is a big deal. And uh, Ryan does have quite a bit of experience porting games and 3D applications over to the Linux desktop. And, you know, I got to be honest, this does speak to me a little bit at a deep nerd level, not because I'm planning to use OS2 for anything, but in a way, like, you hate to see this stuff die. And when it's all digital, like, we have the means to preserve this stuff, and games and whatnot are art. That is definitely true. Even if you don't care about any of that, it's kind of just a fascinating read. He dives into a bunch of details about the progress he's made so far, why it's difficult, and why it might not be that difficult overall. Yeah, so I, I expect any week now, Popey will be taking the uh, Twine Challenge and running everything on his desktop through an OS2 emulator. I, hang on. Wait, what? OS2? <laughs> yeah, it's an OS2 emulator. Yeah, OS2. Yeah. <laughs> you want to take the challenge, Popey? <laughs> I can't get my head around this. Wimpy was more of an OS2 guy than I was. Yeah, I've got Arkanoe on really? ThinkPads. Yeah. You were a big OS2 fan, eh, Wimpy? Well, what do you say? Yeah, you, you should, s- there you go, Wimpy. You take the challenge. <laughs> you yeah, take well, it. I'll, you I'll, take I'll, it. I'll give it a go. <laughs> I, give it, yeah, I, I switched from OS2 to Linux. There you go. There you go. And now you can switch back. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 237 for February 20th, 2018. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show this week that's so packed with goodness. Well, we're going to give you an extra side. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. It's going to be a side of announcement. We'll tell you more about that in just a little bit. But first, this week, we'll cover some community news. The good folks over at KDE just got a surprise donation from the Pineapple Fund. We'll tell you about that. Our friends over at Canonical want to know a little bit more about how your computer's set up. So we'll talk directly to the horse's mouth about that. I do love the horse's mouth. I always think of Mr. Ed. That's right. You know, with the peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, so tasty. And then later on, our good friends over at Elementary OS and System76 working on Pop! OS are doing something that I think a lot of you are going to agree with. They're turning on disk encryption by default. But this isn't a simple implementation, and there's a lot of user challenges to work through and edge cases that have to be thought through. So we'll talk to them about turning on disk encryption by default when you install Elementary OS or Pop! OS in the near future. Gnome's got a new tool to check on your system. A big, bogus Linux vulnerability is getting all of the attention this week. OpenStreetMaps has woes. And then we're going to wrap it all up with that side. It's going to be a tasty side. Maybe a berry flavor. It's an announcement here at the network. Something big on the build-up to scale is coming back to Jupiter Broadcasting. you got to stay tuned. you got to listen to find out that you toasty, know it. You tasty know it. little morsel. You know the drill, Wes. You know the drill. So, Wes, before we go any further, it is our duty to bring in that virtual lug. Time-appropriate <laughs> greetings, Bumble Room. What's up? Hello. Hello. Hey. Oh, hello. All right, so how many of you are using the Mumble Snap today? Just say aye. 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 Whoa. 
Impressive. Dude, I'm all of a sudden I'm having I'm having FOMO. I'm just feeling like I should be I should be catching up. Wow. All right. Well talk about production testing. <laughs> We're gonna put it through its paces this week. All right, well let's start with a little bit of good news. The KDE project is extremely pleased to announce that they have received two hundred thousand US greenback donations from the Pineapple Fund. Now, uh, they go on to say that they're going to use these funds to further their cause to make free software accessible to everyone on all platforms, which is good because I was pretty convinced until they made that statement that they were going to use that money to fund proprietary software. So I'm pretty glad they made that clarification. Close call. Yeah. The money is going to help them realize their vision of creating a world in which everyone has control over their digital life and enjoys freedom and privacy. Well – Apparently, they're going to buy out Apple and Google. Uh, and I think this is great. You know, the Pineapple Fund says that uh, KDE is a necessary community project, which just has a general benefit to the public and advances the use of free software on all platforms. So that's why they were all in. $200,000. The Pineapple Fund has been busy recently contributing money. I, uh, I don't know a lot about the Pineapple Fund, uh, but I need to do some more digging. I did a little bit of reading, so I have a rough idea. But is anybody kind of familiar with Pineapple Fund before I run my mouth about it? Anybody want to save me and just eloquently describe in a few short, beautiful sentences? Eloquently. <laughs> what, what do you think, Producer Michael? What do you think? You, you got a shot? Well, I mean, it's just like it's it's a Bitcoin-based uh, philanthropist, basically. Right. And when it came to the Free Software Foundation, they actually donated Bitcoin to the Free Software Foundation. OpenBSD uh, is one of their mm-hmm, beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. But in this case, uh, for KDE, I, I believe they donated cash. They converted it to cash. Cash. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. So you can find it all out. They have they've raised fifty three million dollars and donated to fifty eight different charities so far. I like that. I think that's pretty cool. I think that is that's a great use of uh, cryptocurrency too. You know what I mean? And if you donate now, and then they can use those funds down the road. Well, today as we record, Bitcoin's back up to eleven thousand dollars, probably yeah. because of manipulation via Popey's huge wealth. But uh, that guy, I know. But you know, it's now going you can to feel good, good about that mm-hmm. and not just feel more poor. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thanks to Popey, really. I think that might be uh, Mr. Dustin Kirkland you hear there uh, coming in a bit. So let's let's uh, talk to Dustin and Will Cook. They're both joining us from Canonical. And uh, you may have heard of uh, an email that Will sent out to the mailing list recently over uh, for the Ubuntu development in which he says that they're looking at how to focus future resource uh, resources around engineering and realized – you know, we could use some information, some data, if you will, like what version of Ubuntu people are installing, if they have a network connection, the type of CPU that they have, how much RAM, how did they lay out their disks, what packages did they install, what GPU do they have, who built their computer, these kinds of things that they don't actually currently collect. Uh, but whenever you start talking about collecting additional data from users, it causes quite a bit of reaction. So I thought instead of us just rampant speculation style here on the old show. Oh, but that was going to be so much fun. Dude, I'm happy to do it. Maybe we'll just save that later. But first, we'll get the information uh, from Dustin and Will because they're in this thread. And this email came from Will Cook. So, guys, welcome to the show. And, Will, why don't we start with you and kind of let's hear your version of what you guys are proposing. Sure. So, I mean, as you said, data-driven development. This is what we're all about. We we need to know where we should be focusing our efforts, what things people like, what things people use, and you know they should get the lion's share of, of our engineering efforts so that we can fix the parts that are most important to those people. You know, when I first saw this, um, I had a couple of different reactions. My first reaction was, oh, people aren't going to like this. But my second reaction is, is, you weren't collecting this already? 
you're not already collecting this information? That seems like information that would have been collected from day one. Well, yeah, so, uh, you know, from, from day one, we've always had an airport running, which is the, the thing that pops up and says something went wrong. Would you like to report an error about it? Um, you know, that's, that's always been there. Popcon was there for a little while. Popcon's been in Debian since forever. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the raw data about what sort of hardware that we're running on, yeah, we haven't ever, ever gathered that. So the thing, um, the thing that you're also suggesting – well, actually, I have a follow-up question to that. Uh, the, the, the one metric I think that's probably getting the most strong reaction would be location information. What's, what kind of lo- specific location information will you be collecting? Well, so we, we talked about this internally before we uh, sent the email, and we decided that it would be useful to everybody to know where people are in the world. You know, if we find out that 90% of our users are based in, in India, let's say, then we need to be focusing on the translations for India. If we find out that everybody's in um, the US, then, you know, we need to be making sure that the English translations are up to date. Um, we're not gathering IP address, <coughs> excuse me, IP address information. Oh. The location will be the location that the user chooses at login. So, you know, there's no, um, there's no sort of nefarious snooping on, on where we think you are. This is purely, you tell us you're in this country. That's, you know, we take that on face value and, uh, and that's what we, we record. And so it's not, uh, it's not tracked to like a, a specific user and location. So you wouldn't necessarily get, um, Chris F. in Arlington, Washington, when you look back at the metrics? No, it's like purely country level, you know, li- literally top top level country level information. Ah. So, yeah. Okay. okay. Um, and then the other thing, so you mentioned it really in there quickly as PopCon. Uh, PopCon is a tool, if I'm correct, that's sort of monitoring the users' packages that they install to give you guys over – a canonical and aggregate overview of the most popular packages. The IB, the idea there, I suppose, would be, well, if we have an idea of what the most popular packages are, then we know where to dedicate patch time, backporting time, resource development time, integration time. Is that what PopCon's about? Exactly, yeah. And, and you know, we have the archives and, and people hit the archives in order to get packages. But let's say that, um, that we could look at the web logs on those servers, which we don't, but if we, if we could do, we could see that, um, yeah, people were installing a specific package. A lot of people were installing a specific package. That doesn't tell us whether they install it once and then uninstall it, or they install it and they use it every day, or they install it and they use it once a year. You know, that's the sort of information that Popcon gives us. Uh, and with that information, we can look at promoting packages that are in universe, which is the sort of um, the, the lowest level of support that we offer, uh, up to main, which is something that our security team get involved in. So if, if everybody's installing a specific package from universe, they're using it every day, then we can look at promoting that domain. And then the security team uh, and whoever it is that's maintaining that package will spend or will be able to spend a lot more time making sure that security bugs are fixed, making sure that the latest versions are packaged keeping that up to date for everybody so yeah yeah that's that's extremely useful information for us and it's extremely beneficial to our users so i think i have a couple of questions specifically for dustin but will uh, one of my kind of uh bigger picture questions i have for you is the flip side of this is you've also stated that you plan to make the data public wouldn't that also mean that you plan to reveal exactly roughly pretty damn close how many Ubuntu installations there are, how many people are using Dell laptops versus an Entraware laptop. Like, isn't this going to result in a lot of um, speculation being answered? Because 
then you'll have real numbers. People have like, well, Ubuntu has X amount of users, and there's never really been a big public number released about that. It's been well, – Will, I'll jump in here sure. actually at this point. Yeah, that's, I think that's exactly right, and everything that we've put out so far has been – uh, our best guess, interpolation on roughly how many users uh, have downloaded the ISO from the Ubuntu.com mirror, not the mirror run by your local university, because you know obviously we don't we we don't we can't count uh, package updates or ISO downloads from from mirrors, for instance. Um, so in a way, yes, there there will be a lot more information available about the general usage uh, of Ubuntu, how and where. Um, I, I actually hope that there's uh, some interesting um, conclusions that can be drawn by, uh, by people outside of Canonical. Um, I, I often look at the stats that are published by Docker Hub. Uh, if you go to, you hit Docker's API, you can see pulls of the Ubuntu image or the CentOS image or the Debian image or the Mongo or the MySQL image. Uh, and I think Part of that is, you know, obviously those are statistics that were anonymously gathered by, uh, by your usage of the Docker binary fetching an image from Docker Hub. Uh, but the fact that, that that information is also available for others to consume and graph and plot and, um, and, and uh, interpolate is, I think that's part of the important social hmm. exchange. You that know, is an interesting are... idea. So I want to I ask you a couple of specifics about that, really. So what you're really talking about is essentially making all this data public and then making JSON feeds or some sort of queryable feed available so people can programmatically generate graphs. That brings me to the infrastructure question. With all of this I'm on board with. It. In fact, like I said, it kind of seems like it should have been done from day one. The part that I, 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 I take pause with is the backend implementation of storing this data and verifying that it is being abstracted away from user-identifiable information. Uh, how, how is that being put together? Because it seems like we're late in the 1804 game right now for that to be built. But I'm only looking at it from the outside. Sure. So the, that backend infrastructure is not yet implemented. Um, and in fact, right now, we've put this out on the Ubuntu Devel list. We'll post it to the Ubuntu Devel list, which is where we uh, discuss proposals such as this. Um, even if we started transmitting that information and just sent it to uh, to to a, to a dev null, you know, no nothing to catch it uh, just yet. Um, that would be okay. In the in that, eventually we will will have that infrastructure uh, in place and set up. Of course, we're uh, based in the uh, in in Europe and have lots of users in in Europe, uh, and everybody knows the GDPR. Um, requirements come into into play this year, um, and so Canonical, as a as a company, as a business, you know, we're 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 under the regulation of the EU, uh, and we're taking this very seriously. So, you know, I, there there should be every bit of confidence here that this data will be dealt with as uh, anonymously as possible, and not just because we 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 feel that we owe that to the free and open source community, but also because it's it's EU law, frankly, at this point. Yeah. Okay. I mean that. Yeah. They. Uh, they're. I. For, I completely forgot about the new rules coming into place, and uh, that does make sense. So my question then, I go. I guess I go from that to, and I'm not sure if this is maybe a Will question or a Dustin question, but let's assume you know this all gets worked out, stuff gets built in, the option in the installer is there where people can uncheck it. Um, how does it affect distributions that are based on Ubuntu? that are maybe using the Ubiquity installer? 
Sure. So I'll throw a spotlight on that first point. This will be as easy to disable on any machine as clicking one box to uncheck. Um, and, and that disables all diagnostic information. So what we'll describe, there's basically three sets of information. One is a set of, of pretty generic um, statistics about a machine, how many disks, how many network cards, what sort of CPU. What that enables us to, uh, to do is to ensure that the Ubuntu experience is optimized for the, the, the sort of moving target of what, what, does Ubuntu, what, what does the system hardware that Ubuntu is running on generally look, look like, where are the outliers, where's the, the sort of center of gravity. Um, that bit of information is, is more or less a one-shot Here's right. the, the hardware profile. Can we second. underscore that for a second? Because that was something sure. that wasn't totally clear to me. But because uh, the way it's sort of the way it's sort of worded in the email to the mailing list is, it sort of sounds like when I think of user collection metrics, I, I think of Windows 10 telemetry, and I think of almost constantly sending as I use my computer, sending back information. But with the exception of package installations, it's essentially a one-shot data collection. Is that accurate? That's right. So where this all come from was we were looking at the Ubuntu installer and we were debating as to whether some of the installation options made sense anymore. Does anyone, uh, there's a, there was a checkbox at the very beginning which says um, automatically download updates while installing, which I always check because sure, I want, I want when I'm done installing, I want to have all the updates. And so I asked the team, hey, do people check that box or not? Um, I'm curious, like, can we just get rid of that box and automatically download updates while installing? And as it turns out, we don't know. We don't know how many people check right. the box that says install the <laughs> MP3. Uh, yes, I want MP3s to work on my Ubuntu machine. We don't. We actually don't know how many people, uh, you know, how many people opt to encrypt their hard disk. I'm really keen to hear from the elementary OS guys about their their disk encryption plans. It's sort of you know a place where I geek out about. We didn't actually know, and at that point, we started looking at. Uh, just the installer and being able to know what does the what does the average Ubuntu user select as their base set of installation options? Are there some options we could just get rid of because they just don't make sense anymore? And in doing so, we 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 combine that effort with another set of questions we had around uh, what what. what what desktop apps are installed on the most Ubuntu machines, um, as well as what are the buggiest apps in the Ubuntu archive. Mm. And we realize all of this really comes comes together in a general send diagnostics or don't option that we see in every in every operating system, be it Windows or Android or, or Mac. Uh, we'd like to do that tastefully, and we will do that tastefully. And I think the fact that we we're, we're, we're offering to share that information publicly hopefully makes it valuable uh, to to the to the average Ubuntu user, the yeah. average Ubuntu user will see a better Ubuntu experience. Sure, I mean that just seems like it just clearly gives you a, a better a better path to follow. When you can see, oh look at everybody's uninstalling Thunderbird. It's just Thunderbird's getting removed from almost every system. And I, I go back to uh, something we covered this week in Linux Action News: is eighteen oh four is going to feature a minimal install option, which like removes like eighty packages, including Rhythmbox and Thunderbird. And a few others that I don't generally use. Uh, and of course, Canonical would have no way of knowing if anybody's using that unless they turn something like this on. And you can see what, what options people are doing during installation. But Dustin, I just want to underscore and make it super crazy clear for everybody listening because I think this is a really important point. Um, <clears throat> the only ongoing data collection if somebody checks this box is if an app crashes and it will submit the crash in the background now. And right. if package states change, and then those will those statistics will get submitted. That's the only ongoing collection. 
That's right. So when, when, a, when a package crashes, AppWork catches that crash and would send Canonical uh, a crash report. And Will can talk about how we've used that, how, we've, how that has helped identify uh, some pretty major breakages in Ubuntu, and we've been able to stave that off uh, early, you know, people who in, who who enable the proposed repository will start catching those packages if mm-hmm. you have proposed, and then we cannot roll out that buggy fix to to the masses of, of millions of Ubuntu users. Yeah. So yes, that would be ongoing. The other one would be a periodic, uh, a periodic, and I don't know what the period is. I don't know if it's daily or weekly, but but think on the order of daily or weekly um, submission of anonymous submission of the packages installed on the system. So that's Popcon. Popcon is what we're going to use, which has been in Debian for ages. We've, we've been using Popcon, but we suspect that, that the number of users who go out of their way to enable Popcon on Ubuntu is probably less than 5%. Oh, yeah. And so it's not very representative. And you know who does enable it? Geeks me. like you and me. Yeah. <laughs> probably not. Uh, probably not the Ubuntu user at large who's never heard of Popcon. So our statistical bias there is quite high. Uh, so what do you know? Vim and Emacs are super high on the on the on the on the Popcon statistics list. Meanwhile, VNC, VLC is relatively low. You know who would have who would have thought? Yeah. Hmm. So to your point about using that data to catch stuff, Will is that sort of uh, to to Will here? Is that sort of this? Is that sort of um, Dustin being polite and saying this one of the reasons why we're not shipping Wayland in 1804 is because of this data we've collected with the app crashes? Yeah, absolutely. If you go to errors.ubuntu.com, then you can see the sort of crash reports that we're getting in there. And, you know, at the top of that list are the buggiest applications. And that is what we look at every day. And those are the bugs that we focus our efforts on. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. This is invaluable information for our team. <laughs> Look at that oh, big, huge neat. jump right there. <laughs> oh, Wayland. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, airs. I don't think I've ever actually looked at the graph there at airs.ubuntu.com. That is pretty cool. So um, what's next? This is exactly uh, – uh, so airs.ubuntu.com is exactly the sort of information that we that we make public, that we collect and we make public. And I think this is – you know, we're not hiding – what we're doing with this information. We're trying to make Ubuntu better by studying graphs like this. So this uh, is obviously pretty important to get into 1804 because that's the next big one that people are going to be using for five years. So what's the next functional step? You guys are collecting feedback. Do you start um, actually like building out the code on the client side? Uh, Do you start looking at mocking up ways for users to possibly disable this after install? Yeah, the mockups are public uh, in that same thread okay. that Will started on Ubuntu Devel. Um, Canonical's lead UI UX designer, Matthew Paul Thomas, uh, replied with uh, a publicly visible Google Doc, which is the design doc for the overall Ubuntu installer. It's 40 or 50 pages long, but if you control F, search in there for diagnostics, you'll, you'll land somewhere in the middle of that document. And you can see the rough mockups from our UI UX team as to what the, what the wording will look like, where it will fit into the flow of installing Ubuntu, uh, and how it's, it's enabled and disabled. So I guess I just, uh, I have, uh, well, one piece of advice, if I could, if I could for a moment, if I could be so brave, is By to is uh, you know make it clear that uh, if there's some way to keep it short, but make it clear that it's not this crazy ongoing metric collection. I think that's what people are worried worried about. But the question, I guess, that I think of from an end user perspective is: so, say I go buy a a, a Dell Sputnik uh, XPS 13, I would assume that Dell is probably going to turn this on by default. 
and I don't go through that installation process as an OEM customer, what is going to be my opt-out option in that scenario, and how likely is that feature to ship? Uh, Will, you want to talk a little bit about how this will be enabled, disabled after the fact in the system center? Sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, you go to uh, the GNOME control center, GNOME settings, and in there, there's a privacy tab or, or option down the left-hand side. Uh, and in there are all of the usual privacy stuff which exists today, and there will be some extra ones in there. Uh, we're still working through the designs. As Dustin said, we're, we're working with design on how granular we get at that point. Um, do we allow people to individually toggle the Apple ah, reporting okay. and the um, and yeah. the popcorn results, or is that going to be confusing to the average Joe? And it should just be on or off. Yeah, you know, these are decisions which which need to be made. But yeah. those um, those settings will exist. They will exist on day one, and they'll be there to switch on and off as you as you choose. Right. So the Apple based approach would be the binary send statistics or not. Keep it simple. It's just one thing. Uh, the slightly more Linux approach would be, well, let's actually dissect that. Would you like to send crash reports? Yes or no. Would you like to send package information? Yes or no. Would you like to send hardware information? Yes or no. Hmm. Um, so I think we're going to work through that. But as I said, we're soliciting feedback and you know, we're keen to hear from, from your users and your listeners yeah. as well. What's the most constructive way for them to get involved if they're fired up about this? And they, and they con- want to constructively contribute. Uh, well, let's point them to the, uh, to the, uh, to the Launchpad um, uh, bug tracker. Okay. This I do is... have one question. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so what, is there anything being done for de-averaging? I just think about my personal use case where I install Linux and a lot of times it gets to be Ubuntu in a lot of old machines that it's not the primary daily driver. And of course, that will definitely skew the statistics saying, hey, we have a bunch of old machines. Yeah, people firing things up to try it out, things like that. I think that's super important exactly. information, actually. I think it'll all come out in the you know as we start treating this data, millions of, of records potentially. I think it's super interesting if there are still people using Ubuntu and expect Ubuntu to run on an ancient uh, Dell netbook or something like that. I think that's I think that's that's but important. The data will show thirty-two bit really <laughs> What I really wanted to know is, is like, what kind of, if you have, you can disclose what type of strategy and if that information will also be released. Because de-averaging is definitely one of the hardest things to do properly when you have large data sets. So I'm interested to hear that side because for me as a developer, right, I can go into that list of information you're releasing and I would be able to say, oh, so people are building for these low-end computers, better not use these new fancy features. But reality is my target user base would still be on the fancy computer. So the, they, the, the they question not is... They're not my app for that. To sort of pare this down, the question really is, uh, will, will you publicly be disclosing the math being used to average all this stuff out? Uh, sure. I, exactly. I, I, don't, I don't see why not. I predict uh, no fewer than five master's thesis written in 2019 <laughs> based on uh, ubuntu.com yeah. statistics. Five thesis and 25 conspiracies, Dustin. Uh, so, uh, pr- producer Michael, I want to give you the last question, then we should probably move on because I think producer Michael has a good one. Yeah, I was just wondering if the, the data itself is interesting and, and the, the opt the opt out is something I actually think is is potentially beneficial in another way that might not be considered in some people. But I was wondering if you have it so that someone has to opt out and they un, they check it to opt out. 
would that information be sent to, to Canonical as well so that people would know how many people opt out versus continue? One ping only. Yeah, that's that's the proposal right now, that there's one ping that says uh, opt out or statistics equals false. Um, once again, we throw away the IP address and the location information, but the simple ping of uh, this this user declined is important in understanding the statistical validity and the statistical power of the and those are those are statistics terms of the of the data set actually if you don't know how big the data set is it, it the data is is only only so so useful i agree yeah, I agree. So uh, let's start the ridiculous outrage right now. Canonical's even tracking me when I tell them not to track me. There you go. I said it first, so now you can make fun of anybody else who says it. After. It's a spyware. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, this uh, is all fascinating. I'm really curious to see where this goes. Is there any other points you wanted to get out there before we uh, move on to some of our other news? Um, so uh, I'm just curious, how much would this impact to trying to get more OEMs to try to deploy Ubuntu on their machines as an option. Hmm. Will we know until we see the data? That's really the thing. You know? I, I, potentially it has it has a lot of potential because that they actually would have data. Right. Yeah, you, look, could, yeah. I, I've been around Canonical for over 10 years now, and, you know, in the early days it was trying to convince Dell and Lenovo uh, and others to take a chance on this crazy open-source Linux distribution at a time when... Um, you know, Windows and, and Mac sort of dominated the market. There was no Chrome OS. There was no Android. And it was it was super difficult to to show the size of, of the free and open source community. Um, I think if, if nothing else, uh, even, even non-Ubuntu users hopefully can understand and appreciate that this sort of information will help all open source projects make their case that, hey, we, we do deserve, we, the open source community, do deserve... Uh, a seat at the table at at any OEM uh, ODM discussion, you know, um, and mm-hmm. hardware enablement, you know, from from your latest Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and graphics adapter, just working out of the box with Linux. All of that has to happen upstream. Someone has to pay for that development. Some product manager somewhere has to make the case that there's it. enough Ubuntu, uh, there's enough Linux users out there to to make this justified. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that could be a huge contribution if you think about it. That could really be a massive like amount of data because one of the things that is, seems to be definitely true just from an, an observational standpoint is nothing puts the stress on a project like Ubuntu shipping it by default. Once it starts – I mean you know, you can have with all respect to the projects like Fedora and others that will ship Wayland and ship the GNOME desktop for years and do a really good job at getting that shipping. But there's nothing like – Ubuntu shipping something by default because it puts a whole nother category of stress on something. And it's way more eyes. It's way more different uh, flavors of users. It's a totally different world. And so if we could start to, as the community, get data from this huge distribution, massively beneficial, even if you're not using Ubuntu. Uh, and the fact that you guys are going to make it clear and easy to uncheck the box, I just really I can't find anything to be super upset about this. And I would love to. I love me a good rant. That'd be a but, great story. Yeah. Uh, it sounds pretty solid. So, guys, thanks for coming on here, Will and Dustin. I, I really appreciate hearing it from you directly. Uh, Thank you very much. And uh, I'll be keeping. Thank you. I'll be keeping an eye on how this all goes. We'll see what goes where, where things where things develop. What do you think, Wes? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right, and that we we have this wonderful open source ecosystem, and so it seems like there will only benefit any yeah, number of. Different it is the era of there. data, and it's another way to contribute now. 
is data. And if it can be done in a tasteful way that doesn't Up like... Upfront and... Yeah. I like that the location stuff is country level, too. That makes me feel way better about it. So uh, I like it. All right. Well, we'll let you guys know, though. It'll be something we look at in our 1804 review. So uh, we'll know when it ships, uh, what, at whatever state it does ship. Let's uh, keep going, though. We have so much more to get into. Um, I want to take a moment and thank Ting for sponsoring the program here. Ting is pay for what you use mobile. A fair price for however much you talk, text, and data you use. With nationwide coverage, no contract. Tracks, no sneaky agreements, <laughs> anything weird like that in there. It's just simple pay for what you use. Uh, I, I think I pay somewhere around 40 bucks, usually just below that for three lines. Average thing bill is $23 per phone. Ooh. I know. And you know what, Wes? It's their birthday. Is it? It's the happy birthday, I team. know. I know. And uh, to celebrate, they're giving away shirts because uh, you get presents for Ting's birthday. Um, oh, first 100 Ting customers. Shirt. They get them. That is... I actually should ask Kyra who did their swag for that because that is legit. And I wouldn't mind uh, getting that same person to do some swag for us. Um, Coda Radio? Damn near 300 episodes. I got to get some good – I, I got it. That's some, that's some legit swag. So the first 100 customers at Ting get that. I don't think I'm in the first 100. But I've been there for almost four years. So I got to be in the range. I don't know. I wish I could be a Ting hipster. Anyways, they're still giving away some, so maybe I can still get one, and you can too if you go to the Ting blog. But start. Do us a favor. Start by going to linux.ting.com. That will take $25 off a device or $25 in credit if you bring a device. they got a great control panel, fantastic customer service, and tons of devices to choose from. And, and really the best customer support ever. linux.ting.com. Go follow them on the Twitters too. That's how I found out. About their T-shirt giveaway, their Ting FTW on the Twitter, Linux.ting.com, and a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Boom, 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 boom. I like the drums there, Wes. You knew where I was going. I sure did. <laughs> Wes was air drumming while I did that, dude. That's almost worth putting a camera on you just for that. All right. Well, uh, so you heard uh, Dustin mention it there, and I, I teased it in the intro. The crazy cats over at Pop! OS and Elementary got together and decided, you know what we need to do? We need to collaborate on making it possible to ship encryption turned on by default on future uh, System76 machines running Pop! OS and Elementary OS installs. So to tell us about this crazy work is uh, Cassidy and Dan from Elementary OS and slash System76 in Cassidy's case to tell us all about this. So guys, uh, where do you think we should start? Cassidy, should we start with you and tell us about the work, sort of the collab work between Pop! OS and Elementary on this here thing? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Tell me, so how did that kick off? Uh, I, I, I mean, I know you are kind of uh, – you're kind of in a good position there being involved in both elementary OS and working for System76 as an employee. Uh, but that didn't necessarily mean this had to come about. Right. Well, obviously, I'm a secret agent for elementary sure. within uh, System76. It's a long play. That's a long play, Cassie. It's a long, right. That's a long <laughs> <laughs> No. So um, – yeah, no, like I've been using, I had been using elementary OS at System76 for quite some time. Um, and, you know, anytime you can collaborate with another project, it's a good idea to think about it. Yeah, so yeah we, really, especially if it's something like working on an installer together. That seems to be like a solid right. sort of collection of resources and efforts. Yeah, and so we had, we've done a little bit of collaboration in the past with like App Center. Um, so elementary developed App Center. And Pop! OS is using it as uh, Pop Shop, which is just a, a really simple front end for the uh, repositories. Okay. But we decided, you know, 
Elementary had designed this spec for an installer, and we'd actually we'd been working on it for years, um, just kind of on as a back burner. Like, hey, someday when we get the resources to do this, we should. This is what we want the we experience would like to look to do like. It. Yeah, okay. Uh, and System seventy six, when they kicked off Pop OS, um, they were kind of thinking the same thing. Like, hey, we have a chance to really tailor the install experience. You know, the people's first touch of Pop OS and System seventy six um, with an installer. And they looked at the elementary spec for our installer, and they liked it. And so we got together and hacked on it for a week. Okay. Um, okay. Fair enough. So we did that. Uh, I forget when the first Hackfest was, but that was was a few months ago. We did a, a first like initial Hackfest. Went over the spec and uh, went over the designs that we had already designed. Uh, we we updated them. The elementary guys worked on the front end, and the uh, System76 people worked on the back end, and it, it got off to a great start. Um, I think we have an upcoming blog post about that. That one's not published yet. Um, but after working on that a bit, we decided to get back together, and this was last month, to continue working on it and discuss um, kind of where we are and what we want to do next. Hmm. And is that when the topic of encryption came up? Precisely, yeah. Ah. So... Um, a lot of System76 customers actually require full disk encryption. So that's, you know, high security environments, some of the, the strictest security uh, requirements. Uh, they have to have their entire disk encrypted. And that's something you can't really do out of the box well today. Um, it requires you reinstall the OS. So what we would have is we'd have customers who were getting the OS or getting getting System76 hardware then downloading the uh, OS and then having to flashing re- yeah. it to a flash drive, mm-hmm. wiping their computer, reinstalling, uh, and then probably forgetting defeats, to install the PPA, and it's, you know, right. it's it kind like of defeats the purpose of you know an out of the box experience. Out of the box, it's, right? right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So follow. it was really important to System seventy six to have encryption out of the box because that's a, a big requirement for a lot of our customers. Okay. So we started thinking, you know, if we're working on this installer, we have an opportunity to ship encryption out of the box, and so that's what that blog post was about. Um, Figuring, <laughs> and figuring out, and really, you know, what when I when I went through this, um, what I realized, Cassidy, is that it is way more complicated than just checking a box by default. Like you have stuff right. in here about recovery partitions and essentially like mm-hmm. escape hatches. Can you talk? So, what is the what's the big what's the big what's the big problem by turning this on by default? Because obviously, if if it was just checking a box, that probably would have been done five years ago. Right. So, yeah, the biggest, I mean, there's kind of two things. There's the technical implications and the UX implications. Sure, yeah. Um, The the technical implications are that you can't ship a computer that's encrypted out of the box uh, and have that actually be acceptable because the OEM then has the encryption key. Right, and they probably generated from some sort of standard image. So if they have some sort of flaw in their process, it could become predictable. I would imagine that's something to worry about, too, is, like, you have to make sure you're encrypting it in a way where the user owns the password. Yeah, and there can't be an opportunity for the OEM to get that password because then it's it's not as, you know, it's just useless yeah. and so you have to reinstall you, it anyway. That doesn't make, how do you do that when you're, when you're shipping it pre-built? So we, uh, we started talking about this idea of a recovery partition, and this is something other OSs do. Um, but it's where basically you have an install media as a small partition on the drive out of the box. Um, and this gives you, you know, if you totally screw up your system and need to reinstall, it means you can just reboot into the re- uh, restore partition and reinstall without having to go get a flash drive or anything. 
And with that comes the ability to reinstall the OS as soon as you get it. So you're, you could still technically be reinstalling the OS when you get it, but it, it removes the need to go get a flash drive and download the OS again and everything. So with our installer, the idea is you can, when you receive the computer, you open it up, and as far as as far as the user is concerned, it says, you know, hey, do you want to encrypt your drive? And you can say, yeah, sure, that sounds great. And what it's actually doing under the hood is reinstalling the entire OS. Wow. Ooh, I but see you that. don't realize it. And then you reboot, and you're off, and you set up your user, and you're good to go. <laughs> so it's still pretty close to the the old out-of-the-box experience. They don't have to go through all, all the, the full installer. They get boot, boot started halfway through. But under the hood, it's all still new. Yeah, and so this installer right. has a mode. like So it has an OEM mode, and then it must have like a like a like just a regular end-user mode if I download the ISO and I install Juno or Pop! OS, I get the installer that lets me do it at the time of installation. But then there's right. like there's there's been allowances made for the OEM to set it up, and the settings that the OEM sets must translate through reinstallation, I would assume? Yeah, that's the idea, is that we precede as much information as we can. So if, you know, if you choose uh, a language, or if you choose, you know, any settings that you choose, get restored back when you package re- do the reinstall. Package editions? New packages? Different PPAs? I'm not sure what all that is right uh, now. Okay. And is this going to be available in elementary OS as well as Pop OS? Uh, hopefully, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. You don't want to say for sure because it's yeah, all like so, future stuff. Yeah, our, our standard line is, you know, when it's ready. Yeah, when it's um, I see that actually. It's li- li- literally the ending line of the blog post. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, the goal would be to ship it in the next version of elementary OS and Pop OS. Yeah. Um, I think in both of those cases, we both, System76 and elementary, have a backup plan of shipping Ubiquity as is um, if, you know, things don't get done in time. Because I think we're both aiming to release in April or as close to that as we can. So, you know, there's that a little bit of a time crunch and, and, and you've got to figure out if it's worth shipping an entirely new uh, and less tested installer or right. shipping the old. And, well, t- uh, to that point, there must on. have been, I mean, there must have been some discussion between the between the teams there where you're looking at the things you need to accomplish. And uh, I don't know. I don't, because I wasn't there. My, the, the top three on my list, installer wouldn't have been there. So why was installer number one? Like, what was the background to say, we really got to address this problem? And I'm particularly interested from the Pop! OS perspective, because to me, it seems like the majority of the Pop! OS customers are, are going to experience the OEM install. They're probably using Pop! OS pre-installed, but the installer was still a, a high priority. So do you have any background on, on sort of that and uh, kind of what the goal is there? Sure. Um, with Pop! OS, I mean, it is definitely, it's made for System76, like, first and foremost, but we definitely want it to be usable by anybody out there. So installing, you know, the first first experience you get when you're installing is still your first experience with System76 if you didn't buy a computer from System76. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, when you buy a computer, you're getting it in, you're going to the website, you're getting the packaging, you're opening it up, you're getting the first experience of the hardware. So you have a good first experience there. But when you're installing Pop! OS you know, on some other machine, your first experience is really the installation. So we wanted to make sure that no matter how you experience System76, it's a good first experience. Sure. And if I go and, through that and I go, damn, that was pretty smooth, I might think, I wonder what else they do that's smooth like that. Right, right. It's, it's you know, the whole interaction is, is important. Yeah. And then even with the um, OEM installer, or even with the OEM installation, when you get it, you still do go through that first setup right out of the box. So you're still actually going through part of the installer process 
Um, sure, especially yeah. with the full disk encryption, that right. was really yep. important that yep. you would have, you would actually have to go through an installer process. It can't be a user setup if you're going to fully encrypt the disk. So encryption by default, I think everybody in our audience is going to be pretty on board with that. I, I heard from Noah that sometimes folks have issues when they're updating like NVIDIA binary drivers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Did you run into those issues and have to sort of test through that? I mean, we're always doing constant testing on things. Um, we have a QA team that does that um, at System76, but it's kind of to the point where technically it works really well. Hmm. The people who know it doesn't work for them have an option to just not encrypt sure, right yeah, out of the box. Yeah, right. Um, but I think, you know, pushing it by default, it's secure by default. Like that's protecting user data by default is what you should be doing in today's day and age. So I think it's important to get it out there by default. And that also helps, um, you know, add a whole lot more testing in you know, after we obviously test it at System76. That also adds a lot of testing out there in the real world um, if it's shipping by default. Yeah. And when you think about it, laptops are becoming more and more the primary machine for a lot of people doing mm-hmm. work. And so that's really where the use case is to encrypt your data. Maybe if you have a desktop that's 75 pounds and sitting on your, on your, in your home office, I don't know. But for a laptop, like, you know, you, you're always working on, on your laptop. That, and especially, I can imagine, yeah, many clients, you know, that's a absolutely many yeah. standards required and good on you guys. I think people are going to really like this. Thank you. And, and uh, it's pretty cool to see the collaboration there, too. It seems like a natural fit. Um, I'm waiting for the day when I can buy a System76 machine in the currency of my choice with elementary OS pre-installed. That is going to – it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. Chris, the currency of choice. We'll see. We'll see. It's always changing. But good stuff, guys. Um, I'm hey, glad Dustin to see here. I just want to add uh, kudos uh, to the elementary OS guys. That's fantastic. I've spent a lot of my career working on disk encryption and encryption in Ubuntu, and I applaud you for the, the work and development that you've done here. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. And it's going to be great to get more end users banging on this for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. That's... Plus, as Linux users, we love to talk about how secure our operating system yeah. is. But a lot of times it's far behind unless you know what you're doing. So this is a great step in and, that direction. And you too. know what else the takeaway story is? The big story is the 18.04 installer and distros that are based on 18.04 and their installers are about to get a lot more interesting in this next release cycle. There's, there's new things that come in. Uh, just really quickly, too, while we're talking about new things that come in, did you see GNOME usage? GNOME usage in GNOME 3.28, uh, speaking of 1804, uh, and uh, another distro shipping GNOME 3.28, there's a new app in there. It's called GNOME Usage. It's sort of basic at this point. It really kind of shows you two things. Uh, it shows you your resources and your storage. Um, and that's, What else is there? That's kind of it. it. And it's current. It's real time, like what's happening right now. It's not like uh, historical. Processor usage, memory usage, network usage, and storage usage. It actually looks decent, though. It's, a, it's something that's actually been in work for two years, as Joey points out, over at OMG Ubuntu. And it does not replace GNOME System Monitor. Don't worry. Your beloved System Monitor is still there. Ooh. In fact, it's getting a couple of new features, including improved support for dark themes in GNOME 3.2.8. So there you go. Even though I'm, even though I'm recording this on a Plasma desktop, Still giving you some GNOME updates, right? Hey, hey, we can do that here. We may have done the Plasma Challenge and found it to be, well, all of us except for Popey. Rumor has it Popey moved off like, Betrayal. Some, like some sort of vagabond. Shut your filthy mouth. No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, really? Oh. No, I'm like, still using KDE Neon oh, like a champ. It's oh. great. I, in fact, I haven't even rebooted since I installed it. No kidding. I, I actually wouldn't have either, but we had a power outage over the weekend here at the studio. So a couple of my KDE machines did have to reboot. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. The rumors before the show were yeah, false. Yeah, there's been some. 
false gossip. Wow, story. I don't Sorry know. If, about that. I don't know if we've ever had. Sorry about <laughs> that. I don't know if we've ever had a challenge stick like this before. You know, I'll, I'll say this too. The other day, uh, I, I had my machine up for a while, and I went to go resize some windows, and it was still fast. That it sounds like a small thing. But it's all it takes to make me happy is that the fact that I can resize windows and it's not super Responsive slow. to the last. It's, you know what? It has been. And I uh, really like it. Well, there you go. A little update there and some new toys coming to the GNOME desktop in 328. Lots of goodies coming down the uh, – just a couple of weeks away actually. I was going to say coming down the river. Yeah, this sounds like down, the future. But, but it's like just – It's basically tomorrow. It's like a few episodes out. Just a – boy, we have so much to get to. I'm excited already. You know what else is just a few episodes out is scale. Scale's coming up really soon, too. And then shortly after that, it's Linux Fest. Where will we find the time? You sure you don't want to jump on Lady Jupes and just come down to scale, Wes? I mean, uh, I'll put out the couch for you. Now that is very tempting. (laughs) You know what? Take a little road trip on Lady Jupes. There's nothing like traveling in Jupes down to California. I'll tell you what. You know, you keep Levi coming. I was going to say, if there's (laughs) Levi involved. (laughs) All right. Well, before we get into the rest of the community news, including that bogus Linux vulnerability, OpenStreetMap woes, and my big announcement, let's talk about DigitalOcean, simplicity at scale. It's a platform you can spin up infrastructure on in seconds. Everything is SSD-based, and they just recently revamped the pricing. And this just in from the back office here, Wes. Some big <clears throat> news. Chris really blew it. Wes was here when I got the uh, note, which you can hear is a physical, is actually it's a physical. It's so fresh and clean. <laughs> it's a physical note. Uh, and, and I believe my exact words were, oh, God, I am such an idiot. That's exactly verbatim. Yeah, I got an email here uh, printed out for me. Uh, if you guys go to, if you're a new customer, you got to be a new DO customer. Sorry, this is a new customer only thing. If you go to do.co slash unplugged, for 60 days, you can get a $100 credit at DigitalOcean. What? Yeah, I usually say a $10 credit. They upped it a little bit for because they've just recently rolled out a whole bunch of new features. They've made their pricing even more competitive, and they have new flexible droplets. At $15 a month, you can mix and match resources, the most appropriate for your application. They have their big memory and CPU-optimized droplets. And, of course, my favorite, the three cents an hour just got – all the droplets got better. If, you, if you've been listening to this show for a while and you built a machine on DigitalOcean – Go upgrade it. You just have to shut it down, do the upgrade thing. And the reason why you have to shut it down is because they'll even re-expand your file system. I mean, like, it's the full, full upgrade. It's so great. $100 credit, though, I, they've had this offer out here for a couple of weeks, and I forgot to tell the audience because I didn't read that paragraph. So go get on it. Get yeah. set up. Experience yeah. w- the joy. They're like they're probably sitting around going, why is nobody taking advantage of a $100 offer? We don't do that very often. Right? Ever? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just an idiot. Anyway, so you go to D.O., dot co slash unplugged you get the hundred dollar credit and uh, you can try out something over there for whatever you want i mean go build a yeah, splurge enjoy go, yourself you want to build a GitLab? you want to go build a Nextcloud instance you want to try out something just do it digitalocean.com and they also have a ton of really good documentation you hear us mention the arch wiki all the time i would say only number two to the arch wiki the only number two to arch wiki these days is DigitalOcean's documentation only because they're paying people to contribute and so that's good quality stuff and it's really well structured and they have like a style guide and all that stuff and it makes it really easy to read and follow uh, and that's just one of the perks of being a DigitalOcean customer that's why docker and slack and jupiter broadcasting and many others are DigitalOcean customers digitalocean.com go use our promo code do unplugged or do.co slash unplugged and um, hopefully you still have time because it was a limited time offer and I forgot to tell you guys for a couple weeks because um, I speed read. 
You know how sometimes I mispronounce stuff? Yeah, it, it affects all things of life, including giving you a $100 offer. I apologize. Go to do.co slash unplugged and get a $100 DigitalOcean credit. I can't even believe I'm saying those words out loud. $100 DigitalOcean credit. I wish I was a new customer, except <laughs> then I wouldn't have been enjoying DigitalOcean. You got multiple email awesome addresses. Things. Come on. All right. So let's just really quickly talk about this bogus Linux vulnerability. It's got Stephen J. Van Hoch Nicholas uh, really fired up, and it, it takes a lot to get him fired up these days. So GoSecure, a company that's trying to make a name for itself, has claimed to discovered chaos. A stolen backdoor rising again. That's their title for it. It's a pretty good name, actually. Uh, and uh, here's, the, uh, here's sort of the um, dirty secret of this horrible vulnerability called chaos that GoSecure has discovered. It just simply brute forces an SSH login. So you just you just basically get compromised if you have a bad password. If you got a good password, it's not taking advantage of any zero-day exploits. It's not using some sort of side-channel timing attack to read the memory and parse together your password. It's just simply using a password database. Or, or just use keys. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's just in from 2006. <laughs> way before. Once your system's already been uh, spread wide open because you used a bad password, then things tend to go wrong. Uh, it opens up TCP port 8338, uh, which is uh, accepting raw socket connections. <laughs> and then and then once it has a bad uh, password and it gets on there, if... Oh, I should mention, it can only open up port 8338, by the way, if it has root access because it's Linux, which means you also have a weak root password. So if you have a weak user password and a weak root password... Then it can get on there and cause some problems. And it's called chaos, and it's getting a lot of uh, print this week. So if you hear people talking about a new Linux vulnerability called chaos, don't worry. Just make sure you have a good password or use keys like yeah, last I said. suggest password123. Just set that as root. Enable root login over SSH. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> All right, I don't want to get too down about this, but I actually kind of – I kind of want the mumble room's take on this because – it is uh, – it seems like it's a problem for anything that wants to take on Google or Apple or what Amazon or Microsoft is doing. And I'm talking about OpenStreetMaps. It's a pretty great product and I really like its – I like the way it displays information. I kind of prefer – like when I'm looking at certain areas, I was checking out Pasadena recently trying to figure out if I could bark Lady Jupes anywhere down there. And uh, I just found the labeling system better and and uh, more accurate. I don't, Not accurate. Um I don't know, like uh, it's more useful, but there's it's missing data that it would be nice to have in certain like yeah, I mean, it, like there, it's got there some, some data cases. that other things don't have, but then it's missing yeah. a bunch of yeah yeah okay thank you. Um, and so a, a former contributor wrote up an article about some of the problems that he sees with OpenStreetMap, and he's a big fan of OpenStreetMap, so this isn't like a takedown piece. It's it's him being concerned about it. Uh, and he talks about unclear usage policies, about how they sort of discourage the use of the free map. But then if you ask for it, they'll let you. But then if you use more than 5% of their bandwidth, they'll shut it down. They really want you to use their data to generate your own map. Uh, and then if there's things in the back end like the geocoder that figures out different areas and helps you search is really bad and it's way out of date. It expects very clear syntax like an exact address. And you can't say things like bagel places downtown Seattle. Um, and then the killer one is there's no moderation or review model, which, as you could probably imagine for something Ugh, like OpenStreetMaps. That could be difficult. Yeah, introduces a lot of problems throughout the entire system, including vandalism, bot abuse, all sorts of things. Um, and then, of course, getting the data is hard. 
it almost when you read this, it, it feels like that the author tries to wrap it up on a positive note and says, these are all warning signs. And if we take immediate action, maybe we can save the day. He calls them roadblocks. Uh, boy, when I read this, I, I read this as OpenStreetMaps is screwed. It seems impossible this day and age. The data that you need, the proprietary information, the fact that once you build something like this, people come and vandalize it. Can open source do this? Is this just something that open source can't do? You know, how do we do imaging? How do we do earth imaging? Well, go ahead, Wimpy. Wasn't wasn't Wimpy? Oh, oh, who, oh, whoever it was. Go ahead. Um, so OpenStreetMap has been around for a long time. I remember interviewing someone from the project many years ago on the Ubuntu podcast um, when we had little mapping parties because there were just great yep. swathes of emptiness around our towns and cities yep. in the UK. And they were talking about maybe by the end of the year we'll have all of the UK mapped and there were you know, entire continents that hadn't been mapped yet. But people came together and yes. they worked together and they fixed those problems. Yeah. And a lot of these are... You know, you need more bodies. They need to recruit more people to help moderate the submissions that are happening. And I've I've fixed things. There was a road that was wrong near me, and I just logged in, tried to remember what my password was, fixed the road, done. And that's fixed for everyone forever who's who's using that map. I think they need a bit more of a recruitment drive to get more people involved in using it. They need to make the tools easier to use for sure, because it is a little bit janky to 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 do this and have some incentive for people to to moderate these things and make it easier for people to get access to the data. If they can solve all those, those are mostly technical, but also getting more people involved. I, I think they're fine. I, I, I'm more a glass half full, and I know you're quite a glass half empty kind of guy. Wow! But I I think I think this is solvable all of this is solvable i certainly hope so i i i tend to think that uh more bodies on the problem is only a part of the issue i think some sure. of this is like technology um cuz you think about it it's a, it's a data issue and the, and the more google google's at a point now where they have millions of android devices that are using google maps constantly setting real-time feedback to Google Maps. Like, how do you ever come close to anything like that? You know what I mean? Like, so some part of it's a, like, they talk about their geocoder in here is is sort of out of date. And I guess you could somehow, maybe somebody could donate a new geocoder. Maybe Nokia could come along or something like that. I think that makes it very, one, my takeaway from a lot of this is that they need to be clear about what they're trying to do and not do because it can be hard, right? Yeah. Like, they can't, maybe that's something they can't do, but they can still be really valuable as an open database for all these things, yeah, even if it's yeah, not going to be yeah. GMAPS level interface. I mean, technically, they can just use Google Maps data anyway because Google doesn't own the concept of the data that they, they, they collect data around, you know, usage, uh, that stuff is they, they own, but they can't own the map itself. So, they, 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 don't, they don't provide access to the data, so the OpenStreetMap guys right. can't just like poke at Google and get the data out, and they would get cease and desist because some of the data isn't theirs anyway. It's licensed from third parties, but right. other people have tried to do in the same way that Android devices crowd source the, the a lot of the location and traffic data and so on. Other people have tried this. Mozilla tried this. They had a thing that was baked into Firefox oh, yeah. OS, and actually you could optionally. Uh, I think it was called Mozilla a stumbler you could install on your phone um, and just leave it running in the background and it would just constantly send updates about where wi-fi access points were and try and locate where you were so you know they could put all these dots on the map and show where roads are and all that kind of stuff 
it's possible, but you need a critical mass of people who are going to do it. And obviously, Google, with a critical mass of billions of devices, are already way out ahead. I wonder if it isn't a bit yeah, of this. But, and they also do one thing. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead I, I don't know of any voluntary organization or anybody else doing it's they actually go to governments and ask for maps because governments ah. have dense in, in, in maps infrastructure detailed just the data set governments need for defense they have it all right fair and enough. it's usually public hmm. but hopefully i think that overall if, if it's not going to help as much in in the terms of maps but in other things the new gdpr ruling actually goes and says that you as a citizen or as a customer have the right to ask for the data that is about you so that essentially could make it easier to compete by you having the ability to export uh, all of your data and importing a second service to dan's point like the hours that places are busy if if you could even get a thousand users to export their their hours when they go to stores and import that that would be useful if you could even just get a small fraction you just uh, have to be able to get that enabled but you know enough because yeah, they've got it by default them. so yeah yeah i i still though feels a bit like the spotify problem in that Spotify is attempting to monetize music streaming when Google, Apple, and Amazon can just do music streaming as part of their overall offering. And if it costs them to do music streaming, it doesn't matter because they're selling you the block-in to the platform. Um, And I wonder if that is the same with Maps. It is so expensive and it requires so much overhead to keep good competitive maps that perhaps it's the vendors that have a platform incentive to have mapping like Google, Apple, etc. that will be the best at it. And uh, I mean, I hate to I hate to say this, but maybe it's just not our maybe it's not our bag. Go ahead, JJ. So uh, in, I would say, like, for those who don't want to be dependent on Google services, such as those who root and ROM their devices, they would probably see more incentive in, into seeing these open map, map platforms. Yes. And also, but is that I enough? Is that enough, JJ? Is that Because I'll give you an example. I would like to have an open street map that I could go to where I could get really good, like, super specific information about cellular signal. So I knew where I could go to get really good data signal. I would like to know where cops often hang out at so i could mark that on a map that's something i think that would be extremely useful and just for me personally i'd also like to know where i could park for 24 hours uh without getting towed and i'd like to mark that up on a map and i don't think google is ever going to do any of that i mean you're partially describing ways ways there which is owned uh, by google now yeah but still it's I mean, but there's still demand for those who want to be free from Google services, such as yourself trying to go away from Google Photos. So, yeah, I mean, there, are, there are plenty of people who've built things on top of OpenStreetMap, yeah. like, you know, building, uh, you know, whether it's making access to data about, you know, like you say, where where's parking. There are people who've built cycle maps. There are people who've built yep, canal pikes, maps pikes. in the UK. Pikes so you know where maps. all the canals are. And it wouldn't take a lot for someone to, you know, build on top, but... As you've mentioned, it's difficult getting access to that map data without like rebuilding all the tiles yourself um, or you know licensing their API. Yeah, so yeah. that that is a difficult problem. You know, so I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. W- would you guys be willing to pay a bounty per se, right? So you would introduce into the platform a bounty that says, I would like these such such region to be mapped, you know, and this bounty coverage a few kilometers, whatever, right? And ultimately, then there's people that could 
attempts to actually map out that thing by trying to get that the winning of that bounty. And that's that a should... fascinating idea. That is a and really. As so long as you have the moderation to prevent abuse of people just going out and wandering outside their house for ten minutes, or strapping a phone to a dog and letting it loose in a field. <laughs> what you, you do know. is you build an AR game, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I want to. I kind of have the sense that maybe I should try to reach out to some folks at the OpenStreetMap project and get their take on this too, because oh, this is Sergey's. Idea. This yeah. is Sergey's take, right? And so I'd like to get their take and see where they stuff. So if time allows allows or if anybody out there has a connection, uh, let me know on Telegram or Twitter. I'd, I'd be more than happy to chat with somebody from the project and get their take on it and see where they're going with this because uh, like Popey was saying, there is so many great just esoteric uses that people have built on top of OpenStreetMaps. It is worth it just for that to continue. I mean I have my crazy reasons but there's also really good reasons like biking and hiking um, and others. So I would love to talk to somebody there because this is one of those projects where if there was anything I could do, I'd pay a bounty. If there was anything I could do, if I could if I could run an app on my Android phone while I drive Lady Jupes around the country I, to help improve their maps, I'd be more than happy to do it. So if you have anybody out there, uh, if you're a listener to this show and you know anybody out there, that uh, maybe I should talk to. I'd, I'd love it if you could help make the connection because, geez, if, if I don't like the way – if I just don't prefer the way they uh, to render the maps, I just prefer reading OpenStreetMaps than I do Google Maps. Not that there's really anything super wrong with Google Maps. I just prefer the way they look. They do look really nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like them too. So, you know, you, you hate to see something like that fade away and, and it makes you wonder like what other things? Like what if one day we all got off our arses and decided we wanted to have an open street open source uh, – Music streaming service. Could we do it? Impossible. What if we wanted to have like a peer-to-peer video streaming service to take on YouTube? Could we do it? I'm not convinced we could pull it off. But OpenStreetMap is one of those things where we already have a beachhead. You know, we're, There's we're a o- bunch of data plugged in there. We already have momentum. So if there's anything we could do as a community to come let's together. Let's not lose that. Yeah, let's keep it going. Let's keep that rolling and uh, I'd love to talk to somebody over there about that. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to sign up for a free seven-day trial and support this here show. It's everything you need to learn more about Linux. When I was first starting in IT because um, uh, IT is like dog years. I don't know if you uh, thought about this, but I was recently thinking it's kind of like dog years. Like 10 years in IT is like 25 years in the banking field. Um, and – one of the things that's so crazy about – because I'm, I'm, I'm in – I'm just past my mid-30s now. So it's not like I'm super old. But it is nuts to my face. It's, it's – <laughs> it is nuts to my face that when I first got into IT, the way we would look stuff up, I'm 100 percent honest with you here, is about once a month, a couple of us from the department would get together in somebody's car – and we go out to lunch, and then after lunch, when we're full and may or may not have had a beer in us, we would go to the bookstore, and we would buy a book, a couple of books each. And then we would bring these books back, and we would stack them on the shelf, and we would never use them unless we were really desperate. Plus, you probably got grease on them from the, from the <laughs> fries from lunch. You know me too well, Wes. Uh, I couldn't even imagine a resource like uh, Linux Academy. And it, it would have at best been some sort of half-assed feature that gets added on to some other training platform. So, you know, you, you somewhere for corporate training or learning about Active Directory management or how to fix your sync, and then they would have thrown on a few Linux courses. 
go go learn some more, Chris. We'll pay you some, we'll pay you some money to go do that. And that would have been it. Uh, later on in my career, what I did have some access to was uh, community college training courses that would be taught off of campus or on campus, depending on the course, that were about Linux, but they weren't really about the career track that I was on, but they were just checking the box. My employer wanted me to have continued education. We were deploying Linux servers. I needed to do something and they wanted results, so I went and took basic Linux courses like Linux Plus and introductions to Linux. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there setting up Linux firewalls and Samba servers. It just didn't match. That's where Linux Academy completely changes the game. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. You sign up for a free seven-day trial. It's everything you need to learn about any category of Linux, from the basics all the way up to the high-level stuff like Azure, AWS, OpenStack, all of that. They have courses that are also created specifically to help you get certifications if that's the route you want to go. They have self-paced in-depth video courses and they have virtual labs they spin up on demand. And if you ever get stuck, they have a real human being that can help you. It's completely different than anything that I saw many years ago. And it's the kind of tool that's come along now. Now that Linux has enjoyed some success in the marketplace, somebody had to come along and create this. And I'm so thankful it's Linux Academy because it's created by Linux enthusiasts, educators, and developers that came together to build the Linux Academy platform. And you can try it out seven days for free at linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. So, you know, I'm going to get into an announcement here, uh, but I just wanted to do an informal informal poll with the mumble room. Um, if we were going to make a decision today, guys, would you say go back to IRC or stick with Discord? This isn't related to my announcement at all, but it's something we were talking about, Wes and I, in the pre-show. Now that Can we've I been... cast the first vote? Yeah, go ahead. I, I vote IRC. Go back to I... IRC. Yeah, and I think I can back that up pretty well. All right, okay. Uh, let's all right. hear it. Let's boy. hear it, Mr. Noel. What is it? So I think anytime you look at a community, you have to look at the lowest common denominator to which the community can centralize around. And I think in the Linux community, the open source world, Red Hat is ha- organizes their community on IRC. And sure, there are people that are organizing on Discord and Telegram. We've seen, you know, when we go to these events, a lot of the Ubuntu people are organizing on Telegram. Uh, so certainly there are other platforms in use. But the lowest common denominator, the one thing that exists in basically every Linux company and every open source community is IRC. And I think that there are some, from a production standpoint, we're tempted to play with some of the new toys because it looks better on screen. There's some more animation. But I think that 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 direct community engagement is something that is so valuable, it's worth giving up anything potentially else just to have that. All right. So I agree with everything you said. I'll give you the counter argument. Discord is born in a mobile era. You can use Discord in your web browser. You can use Discord on a Windows box, Mac box, Linux box. You can use Discord on a phone. Discord is born of a Slack era where you have contextual rich chat with URL previews, image previews, emoticons, uh, voice chat integrated. It's how IRC would be designed today if it had access to all of that feature set. I would I have agree. all of that. Ix, Ix, Ix. Oh, oh. Mine, go ahead, Bobby. Mine, minus voice chat, I have everything you just said in IRC. I thought you IRC would be the cloud. Discord guy. Are you serious IRC right now? To set up on a phone, I was gonna, I, I was gonna no, send to you to, dis- to defend cloud, Discord. If you have the IRC Cloud app on your phone, it's in sync with the IRC Cloud app on your desktop. The only thing missing 
from the list that you just gave is voice chat. So what do you think? Do you think we should go back to IRC for Jupiter no, Broadcasting? I think you should use Slack. <laughs> oh, you, 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 you. I, I, would also, I, can't I, would also just, I would also just piggyback onto that and say that the – I would say that the vast – is there anyone that exists in the Discord? Is there anyone that's in that community that doesn't already set up an IRC system? Like I think a lot of those people, a lot of the people I see in the Discord, they're the same people that are in IRC. So they've already set that up. And yes, there is – I would I'd agree with the gentleman who said that it's a little more difficult to set up on the phone. But – and I'm using Quassel. And that also is very simple to set up on the phone. Okay. I, I'd i like to hear from Wimpy, just from a, and Rotten. Let's go, if Wimpy, if you're available, just because you've been a longtime observer of JB. You've sat back. You have some distance from this. I'd kind of like to hear your thoughts if you're if you're there. Um, so I'm in the Discord and IRC, but I pay more attention to YRC because the IRC chat is easier to engage with than uh, Discord chat. Whenever I go to Discord, there's pages and pages and pages of irrelevant stuff, and I can drop in and out of yeah. IRC. And as Popey says, I use IRC Cloud as well. So what I have on my desktop and my mobile phone is the same. If anyone tags me in any of the channels I'm subscribed to, I get notifications on my phone. All right. Okay. I can't argue with any of that either. Producer Michael, I wanted to give you. Oh, Wes, did you want to say something? I was just saying, I, it, does IRC Cloud have a free plan? I think yep. so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I am also an IRC. I would user. be curious IRC for the opposite user. number. I like the comparison idea, but I wonder too how many, like how many people have set up IRC just for JB, but already have Discord from other things. That there. is a great point. Uh, okay, producer Michael, I wanted to give you a chance, uh, and then maybe I'll come back to you. They both have problems. Discord and IRC both have problems. I mitigate the problems with IRC in the same way, but not with IRC Cloud. I use Matrix and Riot Dead IM. Show me. You fancy, you fancy bear. Uh, okay, well, you, can, you, you can use Riot.in without actually in setting up your own server as well. So you can just use the so, Matrix.org yeah, stuff. So you are is that you're kind of in a roundabout way saying IRC, and if you want the fancy features, there's ways to 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 get that. Well, I mean, in the sense of like doing the displays and the previews, then as far as the as far as the communication aspect, IRC is easier because a lot of people say it's it's harder to set up. But if you're just brand new to it, you can just go to a you know Kiwi IRC or something like that, where you just link to someone directly to a thing, and they're in, in, instantly in the chat. There's yeah. ways to do that where you can't do not, you cannot do that in Discord. And then yeah. there's other ways in like if you don't have a Discord account, you can't go to a Discord server. So there there are aspects that like the only thing I would say is the previews and the the log is not available directly in IRC. You'd have to do some way to mitigate that, such as like Matrix or IRC Cloud. Okay. Um, I, I'm going somewhere with all of this. It's, this isn't just uh, this isn't just looking at our uh, navel gazes. Was it that the same navel gazing here? I am actually, I am going somewhere with this. But Wimpy, I know you were jumping in there for a second, so I want to go back to you. Um, no, uh, Michael's uh, touched on all, all of those points, really. I've got nothing okay. uh, extra to add, other than the fact I recently re-added the um, Jupiter Broadcasting channel to my IRC cloud configuration because I can't um, submit show title suggestions through Discord. Right, yeah. So I'm going to, you know what I'll do is I'll put the I'll put a poll out there. It's embedded in the show notes if you want to vote because I, I, there's lots of people that can't make it live that have a, have a position on this that uh, maybe sometimes can, that could vote. Um, what brought this up was... 
the discussion that I was having behind the scenes with Wes just today about, hey, what if for a hot moment we wanted to see if we could dynamically generate a live stream video feed on a droplet? What I mean by that, instead of using OBS here in the studio to capture the chat room, we had a droplet that was headless that was monitoring a chat room and generating a video feed and streaming that to Scale Engine. So I could just connect in with an audio feed from wherever I'm at, and the droplet would actually generate the chat room and the lower third and all of that. And as that conversation progressed, we realized, well, damn, that's a lot harder when you're using Discord than it is if you're using IRC. And especially when it just comes down to stupid things like we have disparate rooms in, uh, in Discord for the different shows, which is nice because then it's, it's very focused. But at the same time, like how do you programmatically plan for that? Like how do you switch rooms and capture just that? And what if the Discord API changes and what kind of information can we get versus an IRC room where everything's just in one room and it's text, <laughs> which is a lot easier to work with server side. Uh, and so then I thought, well, you know, before we go kill ourselves, like what is the interest here? Right now, there's only been 19 votes by the live stream. Uh, if you want to vote, strawpoll.me slash 15115496. Be heard. 68% are voting to go back to IRC. On the, and I wouldn't shut down Discord, but we would just we, – for the live stream focus, what's up, on the, what's up on the live stream? What do we switch back to? How does that play into how title stuff is generated? Mm. Is IRC well, we, primary more there? Yeah, I think so. I think it would mean everything goes back to primary being IRC. Okay. I'm, you know, I don't care either way. I just want to do whatever folks are happy with. Although, could we experiment with Matrix? Matrix is interesting. Matrix, well, Matrix is, you can use the IRC with Matrix, so you can do both of those. Yeah, that could be something down the road to look more into. Wow. Well, actually, Matrix IRC bridge is fantastic. I love it. Yeah? Like, I've, I've <laughs> so, used it for so many different channels. So you're saying great. go play with that. Go ahead, Noah. No, I just that's interesting that that this comes up. This is one of the things, and I was kind of dragging my feet on it because I, I heard know. some. Oh, I know. I heard, it's part of I this is some, partially your fault, actually. Well, I, so I was. I heard some rumblings about this, and so I was like, ah, just hold off for a little bit and just see what happens. But yeah, we were talking about it because one of the things that Matrix allows you to do, and again, this is where I think there's a discussion to be had about software licenses, right? Because. Because it's open source, it means that all, I looked at my team here at Ultaspeed and I was like, hey, could we do some of these more competitive things from a production standpoint and tie them in? They're like, dude, you don't have no idea how easy that would be if we did it with Matrix and we could have these apps and this, that, and all sorts of crazy things were coming up. And so I'd be tempted if you guys did decide to dig into that, I'd dig into it with you oh, and uh, boy. handle some of the heavy lifting because I know how much you love dealing with the minutia of the yeah, projects, Chris. You do, you do, yeah. Wes has got some great ideas too. We should. We really all we need to get together and do a little power. I completely about this. agree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, I've been using Matrix with IRC for Intergos IRC for channel for years now. Huh. All right. You know what? You've convinced me, Michael. I'm gonna I'm gonna spend a little more time in consideration with that. Um, okay. So I've got a big announcement that I'm pretty excited about oh. that I want to get into. But before I do, I don't know. I wanted to make a little space here for Mr. Popey and Mr. Wimpy. Perhaps they would like to pre-tease some announcement. I know Curry just recently happened. The Ubuntu podcast (laughs) has been on season break. Rumor has it. The band may be getting back together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That's it. No, go ahead. Maybe. Uh, So, yeah, uh, for those who don't know, like, Wimpy and I do this little podcast. It's a little two-bit 
show with uh it's, it's a Mark. wonderful show everybody should Thanks. be listening ubuntu Thanks. podcast thank you um and every year since we started 10 years ago we stopped recording at christmas that we make our last episode goes out over christmas and then we take a break for a couple of months uh, so we can all have a rest and then we have a traditional go out for a curry and then at that curry we decide whether we're going to do it for another year and our plans for what we will change and what will stay the same and we make loads of notes and we implement changes in the following week or so and then we start the new season sometime soon after that isn't yeah. that right Wimpy? about it right yes roughly like that yeah we're so weird <laughs> can i ask you a question the... about that though <laughs> okay how many years have you done the show where you, after the curry you didn't return but you never know oh that's so so far we have a hundred percent success rate of coming back after having a curry but one okay, year so but one suggestion. year one year might not but w- i have a suggestion for you how about at the last episode of recording you just do it at the curry place and then go ahead and decide That's right then. Adorable. Oh, we've got to have a break. We get, like, <laughs> it's pretty intense. It's pretty hard work. You, you know? can have a break. You can still make the decision and then, and then take a break as well. Yeah, maybe. Doing <laughs> one half-hour show. Like, Listen, also, Producer Michael, you wouldn't understand this, but doing one half-hour <laughs> show a week or recording two of them every two weeks is a huge amount of work. Also, you're suggesting yeah. we have curry at Christmas. Are you mad? <laughs> yeah. uh, Speaking of curry, curry I would... All, all seasons. I, would, I was just going to say, I'd like to lodge a complaint with my boss at Jupiter Broadcasting. Why is it we never have any sort of discussions around curry? Oh, I don't ever remember being invited to curry to discuss yeah. the next iteration of Ask Noah I know. or Lass. I know, dude. It's, it's not just okay. this. There's another... Uh, this and another... I am taking two lessons from the Ubuntu podcast, <laughs> and I will be integrating them into the announcement that I have coming up in mere moments. Really. I'm, I'm taking lessons. I'm taking notes. Uh, but yeah, guys. It's good to know that we're so influential. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but yeah. I do also want to give a mention to our buddies over at Late Night Linux, episode 31 of Late Night Linux. They had uh, Todd, the CEO of Purism, on to talk about a lot of the questions that I raised on Linux Action News and that Joe's been wondering. And uh, the guys over there just did a great job of asking Todd the questions, and Todd did a great job of answering them. So if you've been following the Librem 5 or uh, if you've uh, followed my journey with uh, some of their stuff, I want to just totally give you a recommendation here. Go check out episode 31, a fantastic interview with uh, the CEO of Purism about a lot of the things that have been on many of our minds. So that's episode 31 of Late Night Linux. Uh, Ubuntu podcast could be coming up, but uh, I'm going to beat all of them uh, with my new release. Uh, I'm very, very happy to announce the return of an old favorite to the Jupiter Broadcasting Network for a limited time. I'm doing something kind of different here, and uh, I think it's going to be fun. It's just to the to the lead up and just a little bit after scale for a limited time. I'm bringing back Tech Talk today to the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, and you can go over to TechTalk.today. Now I know what you're thinking: Why Tech Talk today? Why do Tech Talk today when you could relaunch Plan B or come up with some other Linux-only show? It's a good question. You know, we put Tech Talk Today on hiatus in September of 2016 so we could launch User Air. And uh, I thought, surely, somebody will come along, like that Joe Resington asshole or, or Tom Merritt, and they'll launch another tech show. You know what? They're bastards, aren't they? Those bastards. You know. I sure do. Uh, they'll launch another tech show that finally gives a perspective that's outside the Silicon Valley bubble. That uh, maybe even by some weird luck, somebody on the show 
has used open source software once in their life or knows that they're using open source software. Surely, by 2018, such a hero shall come along. And yet, no such Batman has arrived on the scene. And it's always really bothered me. I've gotten on the soapbox more than a few occasions about tech journalism on this show. Uh, There's lots of good tech shows. There really are. There's too many. There's too many tech shows. Uh, But they all have a really strong Silicon Valley bias. They typically can't see beyond the apps on their smartphone, to be honest with you, and it drives me crazy. And so looking at the near-term future of Jupiter Broadcasting, we definitely have a content problem. Um, I'm going to be traveling to scale. We're going to have Linux Fest Northwest. And if things continue in the direction that they're going, I'll have more interviews at company like Microsoft and others that don't really fit into Linux Unplugged. They don't fit into LAN. They don't fit into Coder. So I'm going to launch a limited run of Tech Talk today. Something new, just one season. In fact, I'm doing seasons. That's the that's one Whoa. of the yeah. I'm stealing that from Ubuntu Podcast, Yank. and uh, they invented it, and I'm taking it. They I'm doing seasons, and I'm going to do ten episodes a season. So I'm just doing ten episodes, and I really would like you to give it a listen because I'm going to use this as an opportunity to have a fun romp. Really, just what did you call it? Self-referential tech coverage. What did you say earlier? I, it was almost like it could have been a tagline. Something you liked about Tech Talk today was the fact that it didn't take itself too seriously. Exactly. It's a good, fun show. I can't remember the words you used, but I, I should have written them down. Uh, and that's what our that's what our goal is. We'll, but, have, we'll have some curry later, and we'll think about that. <laughs> uh, but uh, because I'm doing a season, I'm going to have a bit of a story arc to it. You know, it's really going to be about getting my butt down to scale. Uh, and uh, Noah and I specifically are going in with some things that we want to accomplish, some objectives ahead of time, and like some eating of, curry. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. That'll be in there as well. So I'm relaunching a show for a limited run. It's it's just going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to experiment with some stuff. And we're going to talk lifestyle stuff, culture stuff, tech news with somebody that comes with the perspective of the open source community. So if there's something in there from our perspective, I'm covering it. That will be the stuff that gets preferential treatment. And it's going to be a fun experiment. And um, I, I may try doing a few things in there that you don't expect. So check it out. I would love to have you subscribe. The – Raw dog RSS feed, plug it into whatever you want. Tech Talk Today or Tech Talk dot today slash RSS. Tech Talk dot today slash RSS. There is going to be some exclusive content I'll generate uh, for our patrons too at the Jupiter Signal Patreon page. Um, I, working with seasons sounds interesting. What do you think of that? You think I'm crazy? No, I think I think it makes a lot of sense. Ten episodes. Ten episodes. Can, can I ask a question? Front. Yeah, go ahead. Is this something that you're doing live or is this something that it will be? Recorded offline, then just published. So a bit of both, um, because uh, predominantly I'm going to be all over the place during these next ten episodes. Uh, some of it's going to just have to be offline. In fact, I think mm-hmm. the majority of it will be offline. There won't even be a okay. YouTube video of it because it's just going to be Chris on the road talking about whatever I'm doing, talking about the news of the day, talking about the events we're going to. It's going to be kind of raw. Um, I like that. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah, I think that's so going to be... Is it like Tech Vlog Today? Yeah, it's going to be kind of a little bit, actually, a little bit like Tech Vlog Today. It's mostly uh, drone reviews, <laughs> just, let's be honest. Yeah, uh, but honestly, I think there's also the perfect opportunity to then have, like, special live events, because if we're not doing a live one all the time, like, when we do a live one, and I'd like to at least do a couple a season, then that's kind of like a a, a special event, and we'll we'll make a special event out of it. Uh, so I do plan to do some live stuff, but I honestly suspect uh, when when Noah was here, he he and I worked to install a microphone mount in my truck. I, I expect I'll be doing a lot of the Tech Talk Todays 
from the passenger seat of my truck while I'm going to do something. I'm going somewhere. I'm on my way to scale. I'm going to an interview. Uh, you know, I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to look at the tech news. I'm going to think about stuff. I'm going to jump in the car. Uh, I'll either go park somewhere and do a show or I'll have somebody else driving and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to record an episode. Now, that's not to say it's going to sound like shit because you guys know I'm not going to put something out that sounds like crap. So I'm going to also work on that. This will be another way for for me behind the scenes to really kind of uh, iron out the remote recording setup and whatnot, you know, really get some of that stuff oh, dialed I in. like that. Mm-hmm. And we'll be documenting the journey to scale. And kind of uh, what that is, what that's been like. So that'll be where some of the vlog element comes in. Some of the people I talk to, some of the events, people we get to you know bump into, I'll be in there. So I, I think it's going to be a particular kind of new show, a JB, even though it's an old show at the same time. Can I ask a question, Chris? Yes. Will you be changing the show artwork, or will you be keeping the thing where you've got the jacket and the shorts and your weird feet stance? I know the feet do look on. weird. <laughs> I was just looking at the feet, and I'm not quite sure what happened with the feet. I don't really know. Because Wes, I mean, my, look, my feet aren't. My feet's not that. It's not that weird. Totally normal. Normal foot. I mean, there's the extra things, but we don't have to get into that. Yeah, it's just webbing. Um, so uh, what I plan to do is implement a uh, chest up approach. <laughs> <laughs> the artwork, because it's the weird feet, right? Although then at the same time, I kind of like. I kind of like it. It's kind of like Noah's dick in his Alta Speed logo. It's sort of uh, you remember the weird feet, you know. So uh, I learned from Noah, the savvy businessman that he is. You know what? People talk about my. We're having a conversation about Alta Speed, and I didn't buy. A, I didn't buy AdSpot ad on right. uh, on Linux Unplugged. That's right, exactly. Uh, but uh, Popey, if you have um, if you have any artwork that you want to mock up for me, I'd. <laughs> I, 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 I'm the last person. <laughs> Maybe we can make it just the feet. That, that might be what we need to there do. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, man. So uh, scale uh, March 8th through the 11th. I know. I'm just excited about it. I'm, I'm curious to see where they go with this thing. You know, it's uh, been going in a certain direction that I wasn't super into, and now they've righted the ship, and they seem to be sailing in a new direction. So I'm curious to go see that. But more importantly, it's like, well, where the hell are things going? Really. You've got uh, you got that crazy canonical shipping gnome. You got elementary OS encrypting their drives. You got containers for days. You've got all these different interests that have kind of really established their places now. Where is all of this going? Especially just in the next uh, I don't know ten months. Where is this all going for Linux and open source? And those are some of the things that I want to try to answer over the next few weeks on Tech Talk today and on this show. And uh, I believe that Noah and I will be on the same beat, so you'll hear more about it on Ask Noah as well. I think it's going to be really kind of a fun experiment, and the best part about it is only 10 episodes, right? Like, whew, it's just like, I'll go for it, and then like, you You know, get in, you get out. Yeah, like I just have never done anything, I'm, like, I'm just going to do 10 of them, and then I'm going to go have curry. I think that's brilliant. What do you think, Noah? Is that is that crazy? I I think there's one crucial part of that missing that you really like. So when you look at the way that you want to do that, I think the important thing is to craft is to get input from outside sources. And I think the best way to do that is to invite me along for the curry. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I think it's a good plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And maybe sometimes do a weekly show with our uh, mumble room. Guys, oh. uh, thank you for making it. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was a good show with you. Stick around because the Ask Noah program's coming up if you didn't know. The Ask Noah show, just moments away, and you uh, you can hang out here and uh, join him. Uh, otherwise, join us live. We do this at 2 p.m. Pacific. The live show usually kicks off around 1.30, 1.45 Pacific, and all of that is converted to the proper time in your local area at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And find uh, the Tech Talk Today program, the relaunch at techtalk.today, and it's Tech Talk 
today slash RSS for the feed. Give it a listen. Let me know what you think. We have some special stuff in the works. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's it's fun to bring it's back, back. old favorite. It's fun to bring back people. You know, people are still subscribed to that show. People are still downloading that show. It's still got a subreddit. Like, it just it needs to come back yeah. for even just a bit. Tech Talk yesterday. Tech Talk yesterday, tomorrow at techtalk.today. Go check it out. And then uh, find the calendar for the live shows, our contact page at jupiterbroadcasting.com. And we also have the subreddit, linuxunplugged.reddit.com. We got all the things. We got all the things. No excuse not to reach out. You got the Ask Noah show coming up, and you can come over here on the Tuesdays and just hang out for a nice old Linux meal. You get the Unplugged program, which is a really nice long live stream. Then you get the Ask Noah show. It's a good Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, we had a long-winded discussion that didn't really answer your questions. Just just ask Noah about just it. Just ask Noah. Just ask Noah. And then, once you're done listening to all this live stuff, go check out techsnap.systems for Wes and I talking about system administration and network building woes and the Ubuntu podcast as well. And uh, go check out Tux Digital on YouTube because producer Michael is putting out stuff over there. All right! That concludes the plugs of this week's episode. We're out! You know, every now and then you got to get them out. You gotta get them out. Perhaps. It's like uh, it's like a form of therapy. You just gotta get it out. Thank you for joining us, guys. Hope you and gals, hope you enjoyed the show. Go follow me. I'm at Chris LAS on the Twitter. I'll be talking about some of our projects. The network's at Jupiter Signal. That guy right there, he's at West Payne. That's right. I like that. At Damn. That's almost as good as bacon, dude. So good. It might be I would like to see Payne versus Bacon. See which one wins. Don't forget, speaking of voting, we have the poll in the show notes. Shall we go back to IRC? Or stay on Discord for the live chat and the, the focus of the show. You Love decide. That. Let us know. Let us know. You can vote. We'll see you right back here next Tuesday. You don't need to install that. Don't bother. Don't bother. Don't just don't bother yourself. You got other things to do. Haven't you heard of OS? It's just two. it's just the primary platform for your tools. Uh, all right, jbtitles.com, Title <laughs> suggestions. What do you guys think? What should we do? What should we do? Jbtitles.com. Make IRC great again. Metrics talk today. That is a pretty clever combo. You came out there with TechNap. TechNap. <clears throat> all right, so you all have to go over and subscribe and listen to Tech Talk today at least for one or two episodes and then let me know what you think. you got to give it like a two-episode go because it's going to take me a little bit to find a groove. So go over there and give it a two-episode go for me. Tech will it be a new uh, RSS feed or will it use the old one? Well, it was going to use the old one and then there was a bit of a server failure on, uh, on uh, my part. And uh, as of right now, it's Tech Talk today. It's techtalk.today. Slash RSS. The old feed may start working again, <laughs> and it may not. If you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, one ping only was my title suggestion in reference to the canonical data collection, which I thought was kind of good because, you know. Uh, I mean, after today, I'm sort of like interested in trying to get one of these ma- either Matrix or Riot to work with IRC. There you go. I'm still trying to figure out how. You maniac. 
so one ping only is, of course, I submitted that, so I'm a little, uh, you know, particular. Um, I like that, and the metrics talk today is nice. Metrics talk today. <laughs> <laughs> one ping only is elegant. I like that part a lot. Mm-hmm. And it also Minimalist. sort of reinforces the point that it's uh, just one really kind it's of big data one, shot. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't know. That's my though. I don't really have a strong sense. I would like to see them publish that data. I would really yeah, like to see that data awesome. public. Yeah, that, that I wonder what the granularity will be. Yeah, yeah. Down to OEMs would be, that's all really what I'd be happy for. It's funny, having that um, Apple thing go automatic, like when that, fir- when that Apple pop-up first landed in ubuntu people complained and said ubuntu was more crashy than it than previous releases and that's because previous releases didn't have a pop-up that told you something was crashing right, yeah. <laughs> and now it does yeah. right and so there are so many blog posts out there that tell you how to turn that thing off and mm-hmm. make apple go away and it's so frustrating for me when i'm looking at the errors website and looking at all the crashes and thinking what are the crashes that we're not capturing because people turn that thing off and so that's why i'm keen for that thing to be fully automatic yes so if people tick the box they just get sent and then we can look at the crash log crash dumps and we can fix yep. them yep i i agree i agree because i actually almost always just dismiss it because i don't want to go through because i've had enough of those ask me then to log in or provide an email address or things yeah. like that and i so i just I, I clear it i clear it immediately as soon as i see it because i'm just trying to get something relaunched and get back on air you know um but yeah i agree if it, i would be more than happy to let it just stand in the background and not bother me and let me get about my day <laughs> 